we could just notice this pain on a on a on a countrywide scale on a national scale and things could could really change towards love i believe every person deserves kindness in their lives i believe kindness has the power to change us from the inside out to change the world beginning with you and me and that's why i wanted to create a show called self-kindness self-kindness with pete it's about figuring out how kindness towards ourselves can be our superpower how kindness is more than just a reward at the end of the day it's about living clear lives focused lives motivated by loving concern rather than motivated by fear and anxiety it's about how we make that change how does self-kindness show up the moment we need it the most you are so worthy of the kindness that's already in you. And each week, we'll be exploring how to do that with people who are leading this kindness awakening in their own lives. My name is Pete Sibley, and I'm so grateful you're here. Hello, and welcome to Self-Kindness with Pete. Ah, uh, you know where to begin it's like self-kindness so i received a text from a good friend who said you know pete um it seems like self-kindness is in this exploration is just another uh you know is it another white privilege um thing that you're you're doing here and i know it wasn't meant to be disrespectful and it's not disrespectful it's a great question and I really sat with that. And so I wanted to put this particular episode out um, because I, I feel like it's so timely. Just yesterday I recorded it and it's with a great friend who has done some incredible work in the world having challenging and difficult conversations. You know, what I'm hearing from people right now as I talk about self-kindness, even in the midst of COVID, even in the midst of these uh, protests and the sense of enough, enough, I'm still hearing, just don't have time right now. I don't have time to look at this self-kindness. It's like I hear, you know, Pete, this sounds great, but, you know, catch me in the fall. It's like... Yes, I know kids are priority. Yes, I know work is a priority. And if we keep going about our lives as usual, it's like, when? When will it change? It's, it's got to change. And self-kindness is, is part of that. I feel like the wisdom that I'm hearing right now is saying, yes, there needs to be great sweeping change on the outside and don't forget the inside as we're doing that. How do we know kindness in the world? We know it inside of ourselves. And so now more than ever. So that's my challenge to me and I'm challenging all of you. You know, if we keep doing business as usual, that's not acceptable right now. So my guest today, Brian Bajari, is a truly inspiring human being, and he talks about this. He talks about being of service for almost 25 years now for communities that have been marginalized. And what he has found in that service of going out is he's coming to see there's inner work that needs to be done, that they're not separate from each other. So a little bit about Brian. He is the co-founder and CEO of the nonprofit Sparrow Challenge, which inspires students to identify community problems important to them, propose unique solutions, create business plans, and enact those projects with their friends and family. For over 24 years, he's been organizing, leading, and influencing in the world of nonprofits, churches, NGOs, and grassroots organizations, from students to outdoor living populations to former child soldiers in refugee camps. Brian has co-founded five different nonprofits, and amongst many of his talks, you can hear a few of them on YouTube, including his 2019 Social Innovation Summit talk in LA, or his TEDx talk entitled, What I've Learned About Compassion from the Homeless, both available on YouTube. 
He has multiple degrees, including a degree from the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology and has four wildly wonderful children. So I hope you are as inspired with Brian as I am. And let's dive right in. So hello, Brian. Welcome to Self-Kindness with Pete. I'm really grateful that you are the person I get to talk to today. Thanks for being here. Mr. Pete Sibley, good to be with you, my friend. And um, on a very wild time in our country. Yeah, yeah, we are recording this on uh, June 2nd, so a lot going on in our world at the moment. Yes. You know, the reason why I said I'm so grateful that you're here today is, um, you know, because of your willingness to walk in a space that a lot of times people uh, have marginalized, uh, walking in space that people sometimes see as difficult and challenging, and I'm grateful you're here today, Brian, because um, I think this is a conversation that could be helpful for people um, coming from a person who has who has intentionally gone into that space time and time after again within our community, whether it's working with marginalized people in our community or you know traveling across the world to to serve uh, impoverished areas and and also being a an inspiration and cheerleader for uh, young people today to to take not only the things that trouble them in their heart but to turn it into action but before we get into all that and before we explore all the conversations you and I have had over the years which have been such a privilege I would love to just hear a little bit about you tell us a little bit about your journey of how you landed on wanting to be of service the way that you are of service in the world well that's a um something I'm exploring I think uh service is is very good um however it can be something that people, some people utilize to ignore their own pain and mm-hmm. really service to others. And, and it's, it, it's kind of a form of project projecting onto uh, somebody. If I can help you, then I'm going to be somebody important. And, but I, but I'm not addressing my own pain inside of me. And so uh, mm-hmm. I, I think while I've lived the life of service. I think there's also been places of pain where I've, I've ignored and I've repressed and I've, I've shamed. I haven't, I've, I've shamed my pain instead of loving my own pain. Mm. And and I think this whole conversation around self-kindness is very important to me right now because it's something that I've been uh, learning to practice over the last two years. Um, And so and it is a practice. It's not something that comes easily. I don't think to many people, unless you're very intentional about it, and then it, then it becomes muscle memory. So where did it come from? Service. You know, my mom, uh, she was a very service-oriented person. She was a very, very much a, in her, her superpower in a kryptonite was uh, being a people pleaser, right? So mm-hmm. I, I followed in her footsteps in some ways. And, you know, all our parents do what they can. And I think, uh, I don't want to belittle my parents at all. My, both my mom and my dad are wonderful, wonderful human beings and they're doing their best. Um, and then I learned, you know, kind of a, and I think a lot of men experience this, some, maybe uh, certainly some women as well. Um, but performance-based love, um, as a, as a, that mom and dad, love you based on what you're performing, how you're performing in school, how you're performing athletically or performing musically or artistically. And that gets translated. The better I perform, the more I get loved. And mm-hmm. so um, those are forms of love, but they're, they're false uh, forms of love. And so the, 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 where we, where we start transforming is that what you're, uh, I think really nailing is that it's self-kindness. It's a practice of loving yourself Mm. uh, and not shaming your pain, but acknowledging that you do have pain and that pain comes from somewhere and it's worthy of being transformed by love. And, uh, 
so there there we go there's a long-winded answer to your question uh, well yeah well i'm glad that however you've landed here that self-love is is becoming high on brian's list um big time yeah yeah because you know as an outsider i've witnessed you know this this tireless energy um of of this willingness to keep on showing up showing up for people and showing up for people and so the fact that your journey has led you to that self-kindness maybe talk a, a little bit about that because you know before we start recording you talked about um you know this moment in time and seeing how if we don't transform the pain inside of us we end up you know inadvertently or you know maybe on purpose we transmit that pain I, I, and and I and I'm stealing that. Um, what is it? It's either Picasso or T.S. Eliot said. Uh, I think it's T.S. Eliot that said, uh, uh, "Good poets borrow, great poets steal." And I stole. I'm stealing that line from an author. Uh, uh, he's a Franciscan priest named Richard Rohr, and and his yeah. premise is uh, very simple: that um, we all carry pain. And that pain is real. And some people have experienced uh, more pain than others, but that doesn't lessen somebody's pain. And so the, the whole concept is as we transform that pain, we no longer are going to transmit that pain to people around us. And typically that pain gets transmitted to the closest people around us. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to add an addendum to that. Once we learn the power of transforming that pain, it becomes a position of, of leadership and influence, uh, in, in the world, um, mm. and in your own life. And so I think mm. it's a very powerful premise and I've seen it happen time and time again, uh, with young people and with people in, in really difficult situations in refugee camps and in slums, uh, overseas. And, and, and I think, uh, so I, while I'm latching on to that concept and, and, and living into that, I, I think that's why I'm drawn to people who are in pain to be a presence for them mm-hmm. uh, with our, you know, our, our chronically homeless populations or people who've been in need. I've been drawn to be a presence to people who are in pain because I think there's tremendous power for transformation in that person's life um, towards something beautiful. Uh, mm-hmm. And so um my, however, and I'll say this, it became, that was a super, that's been a superpower in my life showing up, like you said, showing up for people, but it's also a kryptonite. And I have to learn as a caregiver, as somebody, as a hope advocate, as somebody who loves to see a transformation in our world happen, I have to learn to say to myself, Brian, where are places that you're not being kind to yourself? Where are places that you're not loving yourself and and what are you what places of pain are you ignoring or repressing or pushing away and i think one of the things that i'm learning is just to when i do have a something that triggers a feeling of of loss or loneliness or hurt i'm learning that i i just need to feel that feeling all the way through mm. i just stop and breathe and feel that feeling all the way through, that feeling will leave within 30 seconds, maybe a minute. It's not that long. But if I run, if I just try and ignore it, that that feeling's gonna uh, tailgate me all day long into the evening until I'm restless and it comes back and haunts me and I wanna distract, I wanna watch a movie or I wanna read a book or I wanna read an article. Mm. And so I don't know if that's making any sense or resonates. Mm. But feeling that feeling all the way through, knowing it's just a feeling, and and we can separate that time and allow, and then and then explore. That, that opens up the possibility for exploring where that feeling may have originated from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, a lot of things you touched on there, and it it comes to me to ask, why, in your opinion, is that important? Being a person of service, being a person that you know can wit has witnessed that that transformative ability of pain to transform into good pain to transform into love pain to transform into service 
you know, why is it important that Brian learns how to love Brian in your opinion? Great. I mean, great question. And, and I, and, and, and this is something you talk a lot about Pete is that um, oftentimes we see self-love as being selfish or self-kindness as being selfish or, 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 or being self-centered. And it's, it's, it's actually the exact opposite. <laughs> it's not being selfish. It's not being self-centered. It's exploring the adventure of you. Where, where, where did you, where, where, what makes, what makes Brian unique? What makes Pete unique, uniquely you? And, and so, and, and pain is a good, it, it's a good uh, touchstone and signpost. You're hurting here for a reason. You're, you're, you're feeling lonely or, or betrayed or not good enough for a reason. And so now I get to explore why, 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 why does it, why do I feel like I'm not good enough? So now I, I get to sit down or go for a walk and feel that feeling and breathe into that feeling and then ask myself, where is that feeling registering in my body? Is it, is it, in, the, is it in my stomach or is it in my heart or is it on my shoulders or it is, in, is, is it at the bottoms of my feet? And, and, and then kind of, and it's very, uh, just even a breathing practice of breathing in air to those regions of your body. And then oftentimes what happens, and I'm, I've learned this over with a, a number of people. I've been going through this uh, wonderful men's community called Breakthrough for Men, where, where we practice this with one another, feeling that feeling all the way through, identifying where it registers in the body. And then oftentimes the question that comes up, well, where, what's the earliest memory of that pain? Hmm. You're feeling that. And, and then all of a sudden something registers from childhood. I was teased on the playground. Mm. Uh, my, my dad uh, went away for, uh, for a sales trip for two months when I was a toddler and I didn't know where he went and I missed him. And, and all of a sudden those image, because time doesn't, time is very present in pain. Mm. It's not, there's, it may have happened in the past, but we still carry that pain in the present until we're right. able to begin to love in and, and transform that pain that speaks to that transformation um of that that personal pain and you know it makes me think of it, you know the self-kindness conversation I'm, i've been having with so many people and that idea of transformation comes up time and time again it's like this i believe is what those alchemists were talking about transforming yeah. something that seems like a base you know, something that's almost worthless or you don't even want like pain and it transforms into the teacher, the, the, the gift. And in the process that I'm so passionate about, um, of self inquiry, when you find that pain, you start to identify the thoughts, you know, like you said, going back, what's your memory around that? You know, in the process of self inquiry, we go back and you're looking at what was the thought I was having right as that pain began to arise and then you question into that to do what you're saying give you that information you know one friend said that it's data collecting so you yeah. start really sitting in like what happens when i'm believing and into that thought like my dad's gone away or he's not coming back and you start to witness all of the emotions that come up the thoughts and you start to see how you treat people how your relationships are affected all of this is data collection and then another part of the self-inquiry is ultimately getting to turning the thought around. So yeah. giving, giving your mind some new, uh, some new ground to explore. You mentioned in a conversation we had a, uh, a week or two ago about this idea of tilling the soil. And so in self-inquiry, you till the soil, you turn it over to expose new nutrients and new possibilities of, of you know, sowing new seeds you know the turnaround becomes a new possibility for truth in your life it could be even more true so a turnaround like my father left me he doesn't love me turned around he left me because he loves me so you start to explore that oh he left because he wanted to support the family he left because he wanted to be responsible he so you start to get this new and transforming personal pain we're flipping it around 
you know, this moment that we are sitting in, June 2nd, 2020, it's just so much going on. And just to hear your opinion, like, how are we living in a moment that is is possibly a, a wider social version of that turnaround? Like turning turning it on its head, like the thing that was our pain as a culture gets turned on its head to be maybe it's it's what what saves us as a culture. I I, I think you're on to something and I, I you know I think we I think the idea of we do have this societal cultural pain that we've oppressed or avoided or ignored or pushed away. We don't want to have these conversations about race. We don't want to have these conversations about injustice. We just rather go along and and have our normal day. And yet now it's not it's no longer a matter of ignoring. We must it's a vital emergency. We must address that pain. Uh, where in my family? Where have I been complicit? Where and 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 live into that and, and find ways of of uh, speaking forth on behalf of our friends, our sisters, our brothers uh, who don't, who, who you were mentioning, you know, if you're a white person, you know, maybe stand between a, a police officer and a, and, and a man or a woman of color in a protest so that you're a protective barrier. I, that, that may be one thing. I don't know. It might be reading books about, uh, you know, white fragility. It might be reading books about slavery. It might be, a dra- I don't know, but it it's no longer a question of ignoring it. It's now it's a question of let's, we have to begin breathing into this pain. Where do we fit in our own bodies? And, and how can we be more present to the other? Uh, the one who doesn't look like me because of a different skin color. I, um, I was doing a, a radio, a, a talk show with uh, a number of years ago called Guys Talk Love with Fred Jealous, who founded Breakthrough, and Derek Williams, who runs his own kind of uh, life coaching work. And he's an African-American uh, gentleman. And, you know, what's really fascinating is that um, even, and, and, and Derek is a, he's a very charitable man, and he was a year ago, a little over a year ago, he was walking into our local bowling alley to pick up. He's running a, a, a golf bowling charitable event for an after-school program called the Village Project, which is uh, mentoring and tutoring uh, uh, young kids here in the area who uh, don't necessarily have access to mentors and tutors. And and Derek's running this uh, golf and bowling charity event. He's picking up the money uh, that was deposited there at the bowling alley. And he's coming out of the bowling alley. And this white couple uh, calls him racial expletives. And Derek's in his 60s. And Derek ended up, there was a fight. And Derek ended up with a broken jaw with two, a man, a white woman, and a white man who attacked him with using racial expletives. And it, it's not, it's something we can't ignore. It's, it's, it's not just, you know, it, it's here in Monterey and Carmel. It's not somewhere else. It's here within us. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can't unpack that story without thinking of the pain and the hurt. Um, and it's, it's never about condoning behavior, but the pain and the hurt in a person that could then, like you say, you, if you transfer, if you don't transform that pain, you're going to transmit it into the world. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I was watching and in, in this example, there was the police, there's four or five police officers in SWAT gear and. And there's an old man, must have been in his uh, mid, late 70s. He has a cane. He can't, 
He, he's trying to, he, he has his back to the police. He's walking slowly, trying to walk as fast as he can with his cane. And this short police officer has the idea that he's going to slam the man in the back with his, his shield. Now, I don't, I, I couldn't for the life of me understand why this police officer would slam this older man who's trying to get away. And, and this older man gets slammed into a bike rack and falls onto the ground. Now, thankfully, another police officer in that group tried to help this man up. But I wonder what kind of pain that police officer is not addressing in his own life that would cause him to transmit that pain to an old man. Mm. You know, that, these, are the, these are the big questions. I mean, Derek Chauvin, right? He... That that video is just it's an incomprehensible evil, mm. and and I wonder what kind of pain he did not transform in his life to transmit it to a helpless man, and he chokes him out, and it's a modern day lynching in front of the world, mm. Mm. and it, mm. and it is an it, it that it is an enough moment. This is what the country is doing right now. Enough is enough is enough. Mm. Mm. Um, and who knows where it's going to go? I don't know. I, I have no idea. But but it does as we as we begin as we begin to address this within our own selves and 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 have maybe uh, friends where we we're not talking about sports. We're talking about maybe let's talk about what's going on in a real way. What, how have you uh, been a part of racism or seen or been witness to racism? What was that like for you? What kind of pain did you witness? So for example, my you know my grandmother. She, she, she's a wonderful woman, but she, she, she used racist language mm. and, mm -hmm. and I have to know that that's part of my legacy. Mm. Mm. I don't want to throw my grandmother under the bus, but it's part mm. of the legacy of my upbringing. Mm. And so I have to acknowledge that and I have to somehow figure out a way to transform that pain. You have made this your your life's work to have this conversation brian but what do you hear when you're having this conversation what do you witness maybe even in body language with people of why they wouldn't have this conversation and maybe i'll put it into the context of do you think it has something to do with that that ability to self-reflect why people wouldn't have this conversation absolutely absolutely I think there's, I think there's a few things and I'm, uh, I mean, this is an entire episode in and of itself, this question, but I think we live in a, we live in a society that honors a compete, win, dominate paradigm. Mm. And, 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 and that paradigm doesn't work with love. Okay. Compete. Mm. There's nothing wrong with healthy competition. There's nothing wrong uh, you know, with winning in a, in a, in a, in a game, but when it's the only thing, when it's only about ruthless competition, only about ruthless winning and only about ruthless dominating that has no place for love. And so, and what, what breakthrough is called the five A's of love, attention, acceptance, affection, appreciation, and allowing that compete, win, dominate paradigm doesn't, give room for those five A's of love to exist. Mm. And so I think self-reflection, where in my own life, where that self-kindness of, of where in my own life have I not um, felt or been given enough of the five A's of love when I was a child, mm. when I was growing up? And it's certainly five A's of love in our workplaces and in corporate America boy, that would transform a lot real quickly if we were able right. to do that, right? right. self-reflection. Right. I mean, this is, this, the, I mean, I, I think, I think industries would flourish. It wouldn't just be about the, the bottom line. It would be about how are our employees doing? How are, is our neighbor, our neighbors doing? How are we being environmentally responsible? How, what are our hiring practices like when it comes to minorities? Mm. That, that whole love paradigm can infiltrate all across our country. In a very powerful way. Yeah, and you know what came to mind is like thinking of that story of your friend Patrick, mm. and you know what the authorities told to your friend, 
that day that he found a moving trash bag, you know, those authorities had to be carrying huge amounts of pain to be able to just throw away life like that. And maybe for the listeners who haven't heard that story, if you could share a piece of that story to to put it into context. Sure. Well, it's a, it's, it's a powerful, it's a powerful story. It's an ongoing story. And I, I was in um, Northern Uganda working with an NGO that did a PTSD uh, training uh, care training for care interventions with young people who had been abducted and, and, and uh, brought off to war and child soldiering practices and youth trafficking. And, and I met this young, uh, young man who, had traveled all the way from Kampala on what's called a boda boda, a little mo- kind of a motorcycle, Yamaha motorcycle, uh, probably a 16 hour drive to come be with us at our training. And he just looked like a teenager. And I said, I met him and his name's Patrick. And, and um, well, Uganda was colonized by the Brits. So, so Patrick could speak English. And so I said, Patrick, you know, who are you? And he's full of joy. You know, it's a very joyful young young man, and and I said to Patrick, "Well, what's your story? You know, I want to learn from you. I want to hear what brought you here." And he said, "Well, when he was young, he doesn't remember how old, maybe twelve. Uh, he and his sister were asked to leave the village because the village elders uh, had they were undergoing famine and starvation, and uh, Patrick's Patrick's parents had recently passed away, and so." He uh, here's the moment of brutality, of ruthless pain that is descending. Can you imagine as a 12 year old and, and you already lost your parents uh, and now the, the, the village that's taking care of you where you've grown up is now saying you have to leave. I mean, it's, it's a double whammy and, and Patrick leaves and hears that there are jobs potentially in the city and he walks three days without shoes um, with his sister to the city. And they, they of course, find in Kampala that, that there are no jobs in the city. And he said, Brian, the only, that time we had, my only asset was a garbage, plastic garbage bag. And I said, oh my goodness, what do you mean? He said, well, we collect scrap metal during the day. And then we'd exchange that scrap metal for shillings to get uh, what's called a chapati, which is a little bit of like an uh, African version of a tortilla. And and then at night, he said, we'd take the scrap, the rest of the trash out and put my, my sister in there to sleep in a sleeping bag. And they were living in the slums long. I, I won't go through the whole story because it's it's long and it's beautiful. But Patrick kind of learns how to take care of himself in the slums and fending for himself. You're your head is always on a swivel looking for potential resources. And if you've never been into a slum anywhere in the world, really, slums are, uh, are, are ruthless. It's, it's hunger games times a thousand. It's, it's uh, uh, very little food or access to any kind of clean water, uh, open sewage, burning trash heaps, and, and, and very little rule of law. So oftentimes you have a lot of youth gangs um, trying to take advantage of other kids who don't have any kind of defense. And so Patrick one day is walking through his, uh, through his slum and he notices a, another plastic garbage bag and it tumbles down and, and he goes and investigates and he opens up the bag and inside the bag, he finds a, a baby girl that's still alive. Mm-hmm. So he takes that baby girl, runs outside what you'd normally, anybody would probably do runs to the nearest authorities and, and hands this baby girl to the authorities and says, take her. She's going to die. She needs to go to the hospital. And the authorities say, put her back. She's better off where you found her. Mm-hmm. And it's like, like you're saying for those guards, for those security, for the police, whoever they were, I don't know if they were security or if they were police. I think they were police some kind of pain had happened in their own lives mm. where they had that kind of ruthless, cold hearted approach. And so Patrick, of course, here's the living metaphor. The living metaphor is that Patrick has a decision to make. And oftentimes 
all of us have these decisions to make. The metaphor being we often metaphorically pass by situations where somebody has been thrown away and we just ignore them and we walk past them, whether they look different, whether they're homeless or whether they're, uh, they're a different skin color. We just walk past in fear or, or anger or whatever. And Patrick has a, he, he feel, feels overwhelmed with love and in no way is he going to throw that baby back in the trash heap. And at that moment, that's where he transforms his own pain because he himself was rejected by his village. And now he finds the inner resources within him to give the five A's of love to this little girl and raise her as his own. And that's where he finds his true north calling. When you transform your pain, you no longer transmit your pain. And then that transformation becomes a place of leadership and influence mm. in the world. Mm. And now to, to, to make a, a, a real long story a little bit shorter, um, now he's running his own organization that takes care of thousands of kids in the slums. He's built a, a halfway house, a girl's orphanage, a boy's orphanage, an entire village with medical clinics. And now, you know, he's the ripe age of 28 years old without any degree behind his name. The guy is wow. amazing. Wow. Wow. That's the power of transformation. Yeah. Wow. And thank you for sharing that. And, but it just, I feel like so much in, even in Patrick's story, um, and, and thank you for being a voice for Patrick to share that story. It's, it's like, you know, we hear a story like Patrick and we're like, wow, that's amazing. And then Patrick can do it. Or somebody might hear this episode and be like, wow, Brian's doing great work in the world, but I can't do, I can't do that. And, you, you know, I, I think, and this, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. I think what I'm witnessing and what we're witnessing right in this moment is that we, we look at that person who's, who's on the street or we, we see somebody who is struggling or in the injustice and it's the thought like, what can I do? that comes in. I think that's just our natural human response that comes into our heart, but it's immediately met by all of these reasons of why we can't. And I feel like a self-kindness practice intentionally looks at why you can't and begins to slowly flip those around. And what is amazing in Patrick's story, it's like a living, the embodiment of the last thing you would tell an orphan who's trying to care for his sister, who only has a plastic bag as his asset, the last thing, last advice uh, a rational mind would say is, oh, take on another family member. Take care of somebody else. But that is the crazy... That's the crazy benevolence that says, you know, no rational mind love is big enough yeah love is big enough to take this child in the rational mind says how are you going to do it how are you going to feed this person but love says do it that's right and worthy worthy of all those tears that that you're experiencing right now and the tears yeah. that we all experience when when we do feel that love yeah, and that, that I think you're right. That's a great self kindness practice. Of why can't I? I can actually. If, well, yeah, it, yeah, you know, and it makes me think of my own story that I have sometimes told in that realm. I remember real early when we had just moved to Monterey. I came out of the grocery store, you know, had the music pumping, was driving the old minivan, came down the hill. And I have, you know, grocery bags all around me. And I get to a stoplight and this dude has up a sign. He's about the same age as me. Um, you know, just from my judgment, he's living on the streets. He has a sign that just says anything helps. I look at him and for a moment, our eyes locked. Mm. And it was like, I know this dude. Like, you know, just I just had that sense. Like, 
I, I get you. I hear you. And the thought was immediately help, help him. So seems totally natural. But as I've gone back and I've slowed down that moment, what I saw was help him. And then the thoughts came in. Okay, but don't give him money because da, 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 da. it goes into a story of what he's going to do with money. Okay, grab something out of your grocery bag. And the first thing that I saw was like this big thing of like fancy protein bars. And I'm like, that's, that's like $10. That's, that's a, you know, and my kids are going to want. So like all of a sudden, like help me was met with all this story. So how do we get past that? And, and what happened in that instance is the light turned green, someone beat behind me, and I went. And what I also noticed is I was more embarrassed of what the driver behind me was thinking than reaching into the grocery bag and giving this guy something. Mm. And talk about those blocks as we're, as we're wrapping up here. Talk about why we get that impulse and then we recoil. Well, that's, that's such a, thank you for sharing that story. It's a powerful story. And I think it's not, um, it's, it's certainly uh, not an uncommon one. I, I talked to a lot of people about this and, and people ask me, Brian, you know, should I give or shouldn't I give when I come across a homeless person? And I love, I love reframing that conversation around um, while well, there are outdoor living neighbors, um, mm. there's a stigma around homeless person. And I, I say, you know, and, and, and always what's implied and should I give or shouldn't I give is something around money or a material resource. And, and I think, you know, it's up to you completely to give money or give a material resource. However you feel that's, 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 uh, neither here nor there. You you can utilize your rational mind to do whatever you want to do. However, where you begin and where you stay and where you end is you always give dignity. You always give human dignity. So part mm-hmm. of the practice that I say is if if you have a fear barrier around a homeless person or an outdoor living neighbor, maybe your first step is just to simply acknowledge that person by looking at them. You don't have to say hi. You don't have to roll down your window. Just look at them and what are the feelings that come up? Maybe, mm. maybe smile. See where that gets you. And 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 just practice that. But I, I love how you're adding in that quality of notice what that feels like. Yes. You know, witness. You're smiling at this person. They look back at you. And I even feel that's so apropos in this moment. Is like. They look back at you and we add more story. Like they think I'm some rich schmuck or or I'm thinking, you know, notice the prejudice that I have against that person. You know, I mean, just so much there. Yeah, yeah. And okay. We, and you're and we assume because we're in a power differential socioeconomically that we know what they need. <laughs> right? Yes. And so so the practice of giving human dignity and noticing how it makes you feel, regardless of that, if that if you smile and that person smiles, sometimes that person cheer he will. Maybe maybe they flip you off. I don't know. But what does that feel like? I, I remember the very one of the very first times we a number of our friends uh, that you know, Pete, we we um, we organized this sock hop because our friend said, you know, our this is years ago when we start when I started doing a lot of uh, time spent on the streets with, with homeless men and women and families. And he said socks would be great. He's an EMT because homeless people don't have access to clean socks. And I said, well, all right, well, let's do a sock hop. We did a sock hop at this local pub. We raised about two, 300 pairs of socks and a bunch of money. And then I went down, we went with our group. I, I, we had a bunch of socks to give out to men and women on the streets in Monterey. And I saw my first guy, and I, I identified him. He's about six foot three, tall guy, grizzled. I went up to him. I said, here you go. I got you a pack of socks. And he looks at me and he said, I don't need socks. Uh. <laughs> you know, and I felt like, huh, you're here. We're coming down like heroes. And, and, 
and we're doing the exact opposite. And this is, and I, and I had to take inventory. I said, okay, stop for a moment. And it hit me across the eye. Like it was a slug between the eyes. I'm like, I never asked what you needed. Mm. Stop right there. I said, well, what, what, mm. what do you need? He, and he said, you know, I'm new to this town and all I want is just talk to somebody. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And so here I, and, and he, his name's Anthony and he be, ends up becoming one of my very best friends. And I'm still friends to, to him with to, with him to this day, and, and he's off the streets, and he's he's doing okay. Mm. But but the, but the point is, is that sometimes, you know, w- without noticing, without without noticing how we're feeling about the other, we're never going to have, we're never going to transform the pain that's within us. We're never going to be, and we when, then we push away being kind to ourselves. We push away self-love, self-kindness. But as we start to notice, that noticing is the part of the transformation process. And then it gives us that power to receive that love. And love is inherently, it's not, it does, it's not stagnant. When you receive love, it flows out of you. You cannot hoard love. Love comes in and love goes out and flows out to those around you. And it transforms, it has a ripple effect. So that noticing is so crucial. It's so, so crucial, especially now we could just notice this pain on a, on a, on a countrywide scale, on a national scale. And things could, could really change towards love. It really could. That's my gorgeous hope. Brian, how can people get in touch with you? I know some people are going to be inspired by your words. And if they want to reach out, get to see the work that you're doing in the world, get to be part of the Brian part of Brian's ecosphere <laughs> of, of, of what you're doing. How can they get more? Sure. Well, you can, if anybody wants to, you know, talk more about just even have a conversation about this and, you know, I'm, I, and I get this all the time. I get people ask me, you know, Brian, I want, I feel like I want to do something. Where can I start? And I'm happy to have a conversation with you. And it's not about, you know, going off to, you know, some foreign land, it's, it's, it's about, well, what is it? it? It's very simple things that begin to pop up for people. So you can certainly email me my, my first initial B, my last name, Bajari, which is B-A-J-A-R-I at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. You can follow me in the show notes. Yeah. You can follow, follow you where Facebook You can follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on, on Instagram. And I also run a nonprofit called Sparrow. Uh, challenge s p e r o s p e r o it's latin for i hope it sounds like the bird uh sparrow challenge. which is um which is crazy we didn't even get it we're gonna have to have you back to just talk about sparrow challenge i mean so much here yeah there's more there's, we you and i pete we can we can talk all day <laughs> and i love this conversation i think it's so invaluable and yeah. um now more than ever. So I, I really appreciate you having me on today as a, as a mm. friend of a guest. I'm so grateful that you were here. I love you dearly, Brian. Love you too, brother. Wow. You know, just spending time with Brian changed my perspective. And here's what I'm going to walk away with. You know, being in a compete win and dominate paradigm recognizing where that doesn't allow room for love and so where do i do that in me and that inspiring story of his friend patrick where is it that life is asking me to do the impossible to not walk past that that opportunity to be a witness for how big love is And I feel like life is doing that for all of us right now. And again, my challenge to you is if we keep our heads in business as usual, nothing changes. And, you know, there's a lot to explore. Uh, I know there is for me being a white man of privilege, lots to explore. But sitting and dwelling in shame doesn't serve the world inquiring into that shame like Brian was talking about and allowing it to 
be transformed serves. So how do we do that? I'm offering right now a program of self-kindness and it continues to shift even before it's even started. It was a a longer program. Now it's a six-week program and that's what uh, I intend to do in that program is take a look at what grace and what power, what gifts does self-kindness, a self-kindness practice in your life, what can that do for you? So I would invite you to sign up for that. Say yes to that. It's no longer okay. You know, job as a priority, I hear that. And we got to make a shift. If you don't say yes now, when will you say yes? So be part of this courageous group. It's Courageous Self-Kindness, a six-week program. And it starts in the middle of June, starts on June 17th, um, my birthday, by the way. And we're going to walk through all of this together and we're going to be of service. We're not going to uh, shy away from the challenging, difficult, hard conversation. So check out the show notes to find out more about that or go to PeteSibley.com. Also, this is a brand new podcast. I would love it if you subscribe to it, share it, and maybe share it with a friend. It could be a way to start a conversation um, and be kind transform go in and allow that pain to be transformed so you can be of service right now in the world this is the moment this is the time this is the place you are so worth that i love you thanks for listening until next time can't see where i'm headed but i just want to go